G'day and welcome to Reading Mission, a live book club podcast where we read some of our favourite books about mission, justice and social change together. As always, my name is Mitch and with me is Emily. Hello. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to Elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and culture. So Mitch, what are we reading tonight? Tonight we are reading Chapter 5 of Ash Barker's Make Poverty Personal. The title of this chapter is The Gospels and Messianic Transformations. And in this chapter, Ash takes us into the Gospels to explore how the person of Jesus shows us how to take poverty personally. And Ash frames our conversation through the story of the rich young ruler and challenges us to take up the radical call of discipleship and surrender everything we have to follow Jesus in ending poverty and building a new community as part of God's kingdom. And Emily, we caught up before recording Ooh. this and uh, we both kind of expressed that uh, this is going to be a pretty full on and yeah, uh, a, bit of a, challenging. a bit of a challenging chapter to navigate. So we're going to give it our best. But before we do that, what's been your bright spot in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, um, I've been trying to think of one. It hasn't been a particularly like grand couple of weeks, um, yeah. but... I mean, look, I got to see some of my favourite tiny people on the weekend and got to babysit them, so nice. that was pretty fun, just getting to hang nice. out with my cousins and stuff, so that's yeah. always yeah. a good time. Oh, actually, yeah. no, I lie. Something great did happen. I booked flights yes. to go to Melbourne. Yes, you so did. We can, so we can actually meet. We can that's meet the in thing. person How did I forget time. about that? That'll be great. And we'll be able to record the last episode of the podcast of this chapter of this book and stuff when yeah, I'm down there. Yeah. So it's going to be so it's good. It's going to be great. That's the really highlight. looking forward to you coming down. Yeah, absolutely. I can't <laughs> believe it. That feels like so long ago. I know. <laughs> I mean, it was only two weeks ago. It was only two weeks. but <laughs> Maybe not even. I'm really excited for that as well. That, uh, but I can't, I can't steal your bright spot. I've got to, I've got to come up with my own. Um, <laughs> and I think for me... Um, I actually, I just said I can't steal it, but I do have a very similar one is I got to go to a, um, four-year-old birthday party on the weekend, which was great uh. fun. It was rainbow dinosaur themed. Oh, wow. Um, that's amazing. And yeah, it was great. It was great. And, uh, we, we lit the cake on fire accidentally. Um, and it was a volcano cake. Even better. Surrounded by uh, like crepe paper streamers and stuff with sparkles oh, on no. the top. And then so oh, the no. sparkles all get lit and then the crepe paper catches on fire. And there's this good like three or four seconds where everyone's just kind of like, oh. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> so how, how is that? How is that? Um, problem solved. Did you just like pour well, water on the cake, well, or did you like? The, one of the, one of the parents' first response was to try and smother the fire with more crepe paper streamers. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! But eventually, it just got bundled up in the tablecloth, and everything was fine. <laughs> so, how did the cake taste after that? The cake was actually super good. Yeah, was it a <laughs> really rainbow cake good, as like, well? No, it was like a vanilla mud cake kind of thing. Oh, nice. Um, but with like lots and lots of rainbow um, on the outside. So much food coloring. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah. Gonna, there were some. Glad you weren't taking any of those kids sure. home. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> they can stay with their parents. And yeah. Speaking of Christmas. Yes. Seeing as we're 
delving into the Gospels and the story of Jesus, and we are currently in the second week of Advent. Yes. Um, I thought it would be appropriate to ask you, what's your favourite nativity scene? Oh. Did you have like a nativity set in your house when you were growing up? Oh, absolutely. one at your church or something like that? Did you have a particular favourite? Um. Growing up, we had one that we put out every year and um, it's like this lovely wooden set with like the yes. like the um, Jesus in the manger and the animals and the wise men and the shepherds and stuff. Um, and it's always fun when we'd be putting out the Christmas tree and all the decorations because it would go in different places and, you know, depending on the year and depending who's setting up sometimes depends on what the scene actually is and who yeah. the people are bowing <laughs> down to because, you know, we would do silly things like that, make the, yeah, I don't know, what would be funny. like the wise men bowing down to like, I don't know, the sheep or something or like <laughs> the cow. Um, yeah. And another one yeah. I've got, I'll show you, this is used, not good for an audio format but this one here this is one that i have recently got given it was a gift um from a friend when they came back from or when she came back from east timor on holidays and sort of ended up staying because of covid and stuff um but i love it because this is my first my first nativity sort of scene set that i've been given and it's this lovely like wooden um I guess you'd say peg or maybe like a doorstop kind of thing. I was going to say they're almost peg-shaped yeah, figures, with, very unadorned. Um, I mean, the Mary figure has like a headscarf on. Yeah, with the, the ties. So this is ties, which is the Timorese oh. um, like handwoven material thing. And each um, district, I think, yeah. um, has their own one. I don't know which one this is for, but... Yeah, it's very simple and they've all got the same ties and it's just, yeah, it's so beautiful. So that's yeah. pretty special. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was pretty so, special. Yeah. It's, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, and perfect for what I'm about to show you because this morning my brother sent me this photo that I'm just going to chuck in the reading mission chat on the Discord. Um, and it's a photo of a few uh, nativity scenes and I want – you to describe what you're seeing and tell me which one is your favorite okay all right it's i'm just uploading it to the chat oh i like the bottom right corner one that's really pretty it's pretty with like the glass yeah or the wooden one above it the right two probably the best not a big fan of the balls because i feel like that's just impractical (laughs) and the and the blocks where it just has like the names blocks I love the blocks. So really? Much. They absolutely crack me up because they're just oh, so. So, so what, I, what I've just uploaded in the chat is a screenshot of a tweet with the caption: "Last night I discovered quote minimalist nativity sets, and I am weeping." And the photos are of just the most <laughs> random, like, obscure, barely things. nativity scenes, <laughs> but just like impressionistic. Like so, the top, the top one, top left one is a. Uh, plain wooden box and in front of it are literally just coloured balls arranged like you'd arrange in different groups. Set. Yeah. Same with the one to the top right is that same concept but like... Um, like bricks or like... Yeah. Little, little completely unadorned just coloured wooden blocks. Personal favourite is the one that is just all <laughs> more or less uniform untreated uh, wooden blocks with 
the the person or thing that they represent just written on it is one that just says sheep and Joseph, Mary, donkey, baby Jesus. Like, but like no no attempt is made to make them into a shape. And then the one that is legitimately quite beautiful is like this little glass, glass staining um, glass, yeah, kind of. stained glass sort of shapes. That that's one, stunning. that one, I actually will give a pass to. Yeah, that's, that's actually beautiful. quite nice. The others crack me up. Oh yeah, but isn't it interesting though that for us anyway, that scene is so familiar yes. that with these inanimate kind of randomized objects, that's we can identify yeah. what it was. And I guess that's similar to my one too. I mean, it took me a while when I yeah. first was looking at it to try and figure it out. Um, I'll yeah. put, I'll take a photo and put it in the chat as well. Yeah, um, it's so familiar. We can identify mm. what they are mm. from those simple things. From which not is, much, hey. Yeah. So the only reason I bring up nativity sets is because, like I said, we're in Advent and this chapter is the Jesus chapter. Um, so, yeah, the Jesus chapter, the Je- the Jesus chapter, <laughs> the chapter where we most directly uh, stare the person of Jesus in the face and wrestle with the things that he asks us and commands us to do. Um. So before we jump too much further in, um, what were your kind of overall impressions, um, initial thoughts about this chapter? We've already said that it's it's tough, hey? Yeah, I think that's the main thing. Just the, I mean, the would you do it of nature of the chapter um, mm. in terms mm. of, you know, what does it actually mean to take up your cross and bear, like mm. take up your cross or what does it actually mean to give it all to follow Jesus? Um, and the challenge of that, especially in probably fair to say for our both our contexts, um, really relatively comfortable um, middle class kind of yeah um, yeah situations. One hundred percent sure. Yeah, hundred percent. It is. It is a challenging chapter because what we're what we're dwelling in is the story of the rich young ruler, which um, I think you said it appears in all. Uh, the, the three, three the synoptic four. gospels, yeah. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have versions of this story, um, and yeah, just to kick us off, um, Emily's going to read the version that's found in Matthew, just so that we've all got kind of a similar grounding before we jump into the the rest of the discussion. So this comes uh, from Matthew chapter nineteen, verses sixteen to thirty. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal. You must not testify falsely, honour your father and mother, Love your neighbour as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have the treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you this truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So thanks for that, Emily. Um, You're welcome. So Ash grounds our discussion for this whole chapter in that passage. Um, he opens with a creative retelling of that story, um, which I, I really appreciate. I don't know that um, I've ever talked with you about this, Emily, but I used to do very similar things to this this creative retelling. Um, we had a whole Churches of Christ camp um, arranged around this kind of storying. Oh, uh, wow. Five, six years ago now. Um, and I think some of the resources are probably still available on the Churches of Christ Victor's website. I don't know that for sure. I haven't checked. But I, I wrote them and my, my role on the camp was to rewrite Bible stories in this kind of way that uh, is designed to, to help you hear the story for the first time to try and get over that sense of over-familiarity um, with these texts that we, we keep coming back to and try and hear them afresh. Mm. Um, the thing that Ash does... Um, he, he adds to the story in giving it a lead up. Um, mm. So he, he uh, imagines that what led this rich young ruler to encounter Jesus in this story was that the ruler was out um, visiting his properties and, you know, collecting what he's owed and uh, in the specific case, kicking someone off land that they weren't able to repay loans on. And in that, and in that, moment of tension and uh, feeling very uncomfortable, that is where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so I'm going to jump in with, to a quote from Ash uh, on page 116 um, to sort of give us an overview of where we're going to spend the rest of the night. Quote, many Christians are like the rich young ruler. Sorry. Many Christians are more like the rich young ruler than any other New Testament character. Well-resourced, bright, charming, able to engage in religious discussion, talk about poverty even, but unable to even comprehend what Jesus invites them to do and be. Seriously, what if Jesus said to you, go, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. What voices would rise up to squash a response before we could even consider it and demand that we cling to what we already have? Too many of us, that is too many, are leaving Jesus sad for all they have is much wealth. So Ash is not going to be pulling any punches in this chapter, basically. Mm. And as, you know, 
reasonably affluent middle-class Christians, we are right in the firing line. Absolutely. You and I, Emily. Yep. <laughs> that whole concept of would you do it? Yeah. And also I guess it's like a question of why haven't you done it? Should we do it as well? Mm. Um, yeah. As the challenge. Um, because was it last chapter we were talking about the um, – the minimising and the justification of living the way we do and all that kind of thing. It was either last yeah. chapter or the chapter before. Yeah, no, that was. That was last, last chapter. chapter. Um, yeah. And I feel like between that and this, mm. there's really not much to say because whatever we say is going to justify our way out of it. Yeah. A- and you got to fight it, that urge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And really, yeah, be willing to sit in that incredibly uncomfortable place of tension and let God do what God wants to do in that space. Absolutely. Um, which is not a nice feeling. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and we'll get to some of those um, excuses. There's a part coming up that I, I enjoy in a... Um, unhappy kind of way yeah. uh, where Ash goes through some of the excuses that he and friends have heard. But before we get to that, um, I think one of Ash's key points in this section is that this, you know, the, the Bible's call for us to be a part of ending poverty alongside God is unambiguous and it's, something that we don't get to say, no, this doesn't apply to me. No, I'm not a part of this. Mm. This is the, the command that comes mm. from Jesus. Um, he, he breaks down this statement um, of Jesus, which was um, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Breaks those down into its component parts and spends some time dwelling in each and the first one is, first part of the command is to go. And I think the key, key thing here is that um, Ash identifies that that is a command like you might find in the Roman military or, you know, it's, it's a clear, unambiguous Non-negotiable. Non-negotiable sort of thing. Um, which then raises the question of, authority um and you know who has authority to command you and what does that authority mean and what is done with that authority um and on page 118 um ash says by using go jesus underlines his own authority the question of control and authority would have been important for the rich young ruler what good deed must I do to have eternal life was his question. He wanted something from Jesus to be able to inherit this life as he had inherited his wealth, but he would not obey Jesus. This was not true faith. So following on from this, Ash talks about you know, that, and I'm sure we've all encountered this in um, various ways, shapes and form, that kind of transactional Uh, faith, that kind of sense of if I do this, then this thing will happen, Mm. which Ash calls magical thinking, magic, uh, you know, a a faith in magic rather than a faith in the person of Jesus. 
Um, do you have any reflections on this this section on on magical thinking? I think it's really interesting because I think um, a lot of our context in it's sort of like magic isn't a thing, it sort of doesn't really exist or like um, that kind of thing and it sort of like spirituality and spiritual is but magic's not that and like when you think of yeah. magics it's witches and wizards and, you know, that kind of stuff or in other cultures it's different to that. Um, yeah. But I think uh, what Ash brings up in terms of the magic in our culture that we sort of might be a bit mm. of a blind spot is um, advertising and all of that kind of world. So um, a quote from page 119, it says, perhaps the context of a globalised consumer-driven culture, we have become more vulnerable to magic than we care to admit. Certainly the magical instinct is exploited by most advertising companies. If you drive this car or wear this perfume or have this house, your life will be fulfilled. And that's really fascinating and interesting because so much of what we do is driven by advertising. Um, you just need to watch one episode of Gruen to, to see that and the impact <laughs> advertising has. And um, Great show. Oh, I love Gruen. Um, yes. And just, yeah, the impact that has on our culture and how we live in our highly consumerist society. And, I mean, we're talking mm. about Jesus, right, and Christmas mm. and even the way a lot of that has become so consumer-driven and so consumerist. Mm. Um, mm. I've been even just thinking about, like, advent calendars and stuff and there are so many different mm. things and so how the way that's been taken and just turned into a commodity because the point of an advent calendar is sort of, you know, the season of advent and Mm. um, building the anticipation and the waiting for the ultimate gift. Um, The classic we always had for mum was, why don't we get a chocolate on Christmas Day as well? And I was like, it's not about the chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) You get other presents plus Jesus is the present. (laughs) That's the gift. Um, (laughs) That's your Christmas Day gift. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the way that's been commodified as well. Mm. Uh, and and goes so much further than just, um, you know, he, these, are, these are objects or these are experiences or these are things that I enjoy the... Um, you know, the, that, that sense of magical thinking takes over when it hits this point of, you know, if I possess this object my my life will be better or some, something something mm. fundamental is going to is going to shift um which yeah is you know it's well known that money can't buy happiness um yeah and hmm. and i think it goes it, it it can even go deeper than um you know that consumeristic thing i think there's there's also um a bunch of magical thinking around how even our our economies are structured and how we you know what we expect to happen if we um you know perform certain behaviors you know this the the old you know advice of 
you know, people in poverty, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, mm. you know, put in the hard work, put in the hard yards, get a job, you'll, you know, and, and then you, eventually you'll be able to work your way up to a position where you're, you're safe and secure and, and comfortable. And there are definitely people for whom that is is true, but there's a whole bunch more who aren't because, you know, our, our, the reality of what's going on is not as simple as that magical thinking would have us believe. And if we put in the effort, we're not guaranteed to get out the reward. Um, so it's not, yeah. Um, and that that is, you know, that is a sense of faith that runs counter to how Jesus operates. Um, you know, a, a, tr a true faith, as we'll continue to explore in um, this chapter, is not transactional in that sense of I do A and then receive B. Mm. Um, there's so much more going on there. Um, it's a classic not saved through your works but saved mm. through grace, I guess. Yeah, saved yeah. by grace. Yeah. So on page 120, um, Ash writes, quote, Like the rich young ruler, we can't do deals with Jesus. The ruler wanted to magically inherit eternal life, but was not willing to surrender his life to Jesus and his desire for the poor. As we'll see, those who become Jesus' disciples can't do deals beforehand. They must surrender to Jesus first and then let him do through them whatever he wants to do. The rich young ruler did not dispute the authority of Jesus or the rightness of Jesus' invitation, but he did not go. If we are to be Jesus' disciples, we must recognize Jesus' authority, this word go, and obey this commission, especially those of us who have inherited wealth. I found that quite interesting because, yeah, I, I, um, I think it's really worth pointing out that, um, you know, and this, this actually oft, often happens through the gospel, like the, the question of the value of Jesus' teaching, the question of Jesus' authority in saying these things, often isn't actually up for debate within the the story. Like, um, you know, I, I, I think to the people there, most of this stuff is kind of self-evident. Um, I think we kind of spend a lot of time these days as Christians trying to justify the the authority and value of Jesus' teaching. Um, when, you know, I, I don't know, maybe there's a capacity that it can just kind of speak for itself in, you know, how it transforms the world and how it transforms people mm. and how it has transformed us as living testaments to um, Jesus' power. Um, but even in the face of, you know, there being no question, no dispute around the value of what Jesus was presenting to this, this young man, um, he still, you know, it, it, he doesn't, doesn't take it up. Um, yeah. I, 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 I sometimes get the sense that, you know, uh, um, I wonder if we would take the Bible and take Jesus' teaching more seriously if we were able to eyeball Jesus and, you know, hear him say these things to us in a, you know, a physical, um, physical presence and audibly hear his words. But this seems to say, like, actually, no, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, because even you look at the disciples, there's plenty of them at different points who doubt yeah. as well. 
Like it's yeah. not just other people, it's the disciples too. So even those closest to mm. Jesus doubt yeah. and deny at times too. Um, yeah. Or just don't quite get it. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Even after all the time, yeah. it's like, what? Yeah. If I've said this on this podcast before, but like, you know, when people talk about wanting to disciple people like Jesus did, I'm like, yeah, great. You're going to spend three years of your life with them every single day and then you're going to die and they still don't get it. Mm. <laughs> and I guess that's the challenge as well because it's part of that whole thing of um, the work is a few but the harvest is plenty because, you know, there are plenty of, well, maybe not plenty. There are the stories like the rich young ruler who do acknowledge and do see Jesus um, but aren't prepared to get their hands dirty mm. or even mm. even one of my favorite parables is the um the seed that falls along the path and the different types mm. of um and just how even at different seasons and different points in our mm. lives we can be yeah. our life can be different soils or yeah. different um different areas that mm, it can be mm, easy and we can feel like we're super close and growing really well, but then sometimes it feels like things ensnare or the ground's dry and hard mm. and it's hard work or, yeah, so. Mm. Um, I like that being applied to different time, different periods of life rather than just a person. Well, I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Because mm. I don't mm. think... I think the the goal is to be the one planted in the good soil that grows, but the reality mm. of that actually being the case all the time is probably not yeah. likely, you know? Yeah. And and for for a time you may be dry and for a time you yeah. may be flourishing or, or, or um welcoming fertile soil for that for that seed, but yeah, but not always. And wherever you are, you won't always be there. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And the yeah. going, the going aspect of this is really interesting as well. Because what does it mean to go? Like, how mm. do you find going, and where do you go to? Mm. Where is the place that you are going? Yeah, and this is not the only time that go is a fairly key part of mm. a command of Jesus. Hey, like the the great commandment is to go and make disciples of all the nations. Go, go, and as you go, make disciples of all the nations mm-hmm. and baptize them. Um, and and the yeah, the destination kind of isn't isn't defined, but the thing that you know for sure is that there's a leaving. Mm. Um, that but there's no there's no guarantee of arriving. Oh, that's nice. Because mm. also it's how you define go and I guess what we have defined the destination as um, because the Great Commandment has been used so much in terms of mission and international mission and what that looks like. So it's like go and make mm. disciples of all nations, go over, like go and do that. And while that's not inherently wrong, it's not the full picture. It's not the full picture, yeah. Um, because, like, I just know in my own life, going has meant I grew up in 
the coast in northern New South Wales and then moved to Sydney. Mm. That's a going mm. and moving mm. while somewhat similar to a different context and it, in, in, a, in and of itself a different culture, um, which that only dawned on me like, I don't know, in the last 12 months I was like, huh, mm. that in a way in itself is a cross-cultural <laughs> experience. Mm. Um, mm. Not, not as starkly obvious as going overseas and doing something in a different country, but and then I guess it begs the question of where is your mission field and what is your mission field too? Mm. Of your mm. going, where are you going? And mm. what does going look like? The going, without, without a defined destination, the go command is kind of, is ongoing. Mm. Um, it is, you know, um, there's, no, there's no end. So the, you know, the command becomes um, in the process of going, do these things. In the process of going, make disciples. In the process of going, sell all you have and give to the poor. Um, you know, and we, yeah, they may or may not be um, entirely comparable between, you know, this command uh, in the story of the rich young ruler and the, the great commandment at the end of Matthew. Um, but although, same book, and these Bible writers tended to be uh, pretty clever Thematic. when it came to this stuff. Yeah. Thematic. Yeah, exactly. So no, I think there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff to chew over there. The imperative and the clarity of the command is unambiguous. Mm. The substance of that command that has been given to sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, the next part of this command. Jesus then makes plain what form this surrender of authority will take. The rich young ruler needed liberation from his possessions, but as we will soon see, it was the same possessions that possessed him. The nature of households in first century Palestine would have been similar to those hinted at in the opening reflection, which, unfortunately on the podcast, we didn't read. Being considered wealthy or rich in Jesus' day would have meant being responsible for the livelihoods of hundreds of people. So Jesus did not say, sell all you have lightly. Jesus knew the implications for him and for those for whom he was responsible. That, I, I, I find that acknowledgement kind of really helpful um, because, you know, it, it's, it's easy to say, sell all you have and give the money to the poor. Easy to say, to clarify. Um, but, you know, that, that action does come with implications mm. for, you know, um, yeah, for, for everyone, but particularly for, you know, if you're a business owner, um, you know, where does that leave your staff, which is probably the closest uh, contemporary example we kind of have to this because families kind of don't work the same way that they did in Jesus' time. Um, but even within a contemporary family structure, you know, if you sell everything and give it all away, you know, where does that leave your kids? Um, if you, you know, if they're, if you've got dependent kids, you know, you have an obligation to them. If you have independent kids and you're a bit older, you know, uh, where does that leave, you know, things like inheritance and, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, which is then exactly where um, Ash begins to explore. Um, 
So there's this, this very interesting reflection. The consideration and acknowledgement that it, it's more than just the individual, that it's about the mm. community around that person as well, that it's mm. not, yeah, it's not to be taken lightly. It's not a yeah. just get up. Well, I don't know. I don't want to <laughs> minimise that or justify that away, so I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> the, thing, the thing that's often missed, which... Ash is going to unpack. So I might, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just going to jump ahead. We're, we're doing a book club. I can jump around the chapter yeah, if I want. You absolutely can. I absolutely can. The thing that is often missed is that sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven is not separate from the following clause, which Ash goes on to talk about, which is come follow me. Um, so I am going to jump ahead to page 126, and we will come back to page 120. Um, but I have to justify it before I uh, wrestle with the, the complex parts. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But um, the invitation or the – it's not an invitation. It's a command because it's still part of the go command yeah. um, is to come follow Jesus. In following Jesus, the rich young ruler steps into an ongoing community of mutual support um, that – so he's, you know, in, in Ash's words, he would not have been left destitute. He would have joined a community that was living out true faith in Christ, helping to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Mm. We, we always, you know, every time this story has come up in my memory, you know, the, it is always that. But if I sell everything, you know, how, what, what will I be left with? How will I you know, eat? How will I have shelter? How will I have clothing these things are important we've talked about that you know extensively throughout you know so much of the the earlier chapters of this book are oriented towards making sure that people have those things because they are necessary mm. for human health and flourishing um that that true life that god wants for all of us um we can't say you know now I'm jumping ahead to James and I'm sure this is going to come up, but, you know, if you're sitting there without food and without clothes, you know, go, be blessed, be on your way, have a wonderful, may God be with you, but, you know, don't do anything for their their material needs. Um, there, there has to be a recognition of there is a minimum acceptable standard of, uh, I can't think of a better word than comfort. Living. Because, um, yeah that needs to be addressed for every single person. That's what, that's a big part of what eliminating poverty is. Mm. And the, the command here is to step into a new form of that so that you don't sell everything, give it to the poor, and then be left with nothing. You sell everything, give to the poor, and you are left with a community that is loving you and supporting you. And, you know, we're talking first century Palestine where, you know, people are farmers and people are shepherds and people are subsistence um, subsistence workers. Um, they are going to be supporting each other with, you know, the, the, uh, their, their work and their crops and, and all of this stuff. Like, you know, you're not going to be out in the cold on your own. You're going to be part of something bigger. And I think the missing piece in uh, Western Christianity when it comes to this verse is that we are not confident 
in the capacity of our church family to support us. Mm. And just um, on page 125, yeah. so this is just before the Come Follow Me um, yeah. thing. This is the last um, paragraph in the in that section we're just reading about solo possessions. It says, which is, sums up exactly what you're saying beautifully and mm. eloquently. Um, the body of Christ is disabled, almost mutilated. Some parts are fat and obese, dripping with more jewelry than can they than they can hold. Other parts of Christ's body are down to the bare bones, diseased and hurting. Will we be open to give up all for the sake of Christ, serving personally among the poor? Can we heal the body of Christ around the world? There's this really great part here that I want to I want to kind of read a couple of paragraphs in full, um, because. Um, yeah, no, this is, this is quite a help. This, this really helps me understand, um, you know, Jesus motivation in this conversation with the, the ruler and also part of the complexities in this, in this conversation. So, um, why then? So, uh, Jesus didn't say, sell all you have lightly. Jesus knew the implications for him and for those for whom he was responsible. Why then would Jesus insist on him selling everything? Perhaps Jesus' summary of the law gives us a clue, which I tried to flesh out in my dramatization, which again, we didn't read. (laughs) In all the Gospels, sorry, Ash. In all the Gospels, Jesus quotes the six ethical teachings of the Ten Commandments. The first four theological ones are left out. Interestingly, however, in Matthew, the last commandment, quote, do not covet what belongs to your neighbors, is replaced with, quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Mark, it's replaced with, quote, do not defraud. What both are saying to us is that Jesus was concerned about how the man became rich. How would those of us from Australia answer Jesus? The answers would not be pretty. As part of the British colonization of Australia, land was taken away from its land was taken and its custodians oppressed, persecuted and killed. This quote-unquote empty land was then transplanted with British thinking, technologies and of course unwanted prisoners. That's a full-on uh, a full-on call. And you just missed the last <laughs> line of it's strange thing for me to now live in Asia and be asked how did Australia get so white? Because the the um yeah the how uh this ruler became rich is really important and the how we came to be sitting here mm. you know in the we, lands now called Australia yeah in the lands now called Australia with a degree of inherited and generational wealth um where did this come from mm. and why doesn't everyone have it and. Yeah, and as we've talked about before, it's it's always a really tricky and um, really confronting and uncomfortable conversation. But there needs to just be an acknowledgement that we benefit from the sins of our great great grandparents. Mm. Um, you know, we benefit from structures that were set up to um, you know lift up some and oppress others Mm. Um, and you know we benefit from these horrible histories of oppression these things that we didn't do 
and these things that we didn't want and these things that we never chose, we do still benefit from them. Now, one of my favourite parts. Yes, this this is so good. The top 10 reasons that uh, people have decided that this passage doesn't apply to them. Um, So Ash says that he sent out an email to a few uh, wild preachers, so friends um, that he knows, who have preached this story. And he asked them, what are the 10 excuses, what what are the excuses that you've heard for why people don't follow this command? Um, All right. Yeah, but if we all did that, who would support the missionaries? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah, but God has called me to minister to the rich. You have to be like them to be respected by them. Yeah, but it's on my to-do list. Just after I finish university, get this promotion, get the house renovated after the kids leave school, when I retire. Jesus only asked that of him because he had problems with possessions, and I don't. Jesus only asked that of him because he didn't have a family, but I do. Actually, you can take your possessions through the eye gate in the Jerusalem wall so long as the camel bows its knees to get through. Ash then adds in brackets, there never was such a gate until the Middle Ages when the church made it up. But it lives on. (laughs) No, Jesus wants us all to have the best. Even his garment was so fantastic the Romans guard gambled for it. I find that one real. I actually don't think I've heard that one before. Uh, Yeah. Actually, no, I have. No, I definitely have. But, um... Yeah. I don't. Are they, were they gambling because it was so fine, or were they gambling to make a mockery of him? Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how um, abusive state power works. Yeah. <laughs> it probably wasn't that great, um, or even even if it was good, it's probably not why they're doing it. Yeah. Um, of course, I would give it all up tomorrow. If Jesus made it clear to me that that's what he wanted. I already give my 10%. What's this? The bigger commission? <laughs> um, oh, I don't want to read this. <laughs> Giving money to the poor just isn't good stewardship. They just waste <gasps> it on booze and stuff. Yeah. 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 I'm g- so literally the one that was me was, mm. yeah, it's on my to-do list just after I finish uni, after I yeah. get this promotion, after I like all of that, I will gladly put my hand up and say that was me. And yeah, not so much now because I think I got to the point where I was like, well, where is my mission field? What am I doing? Mm. And how do I, if I'm serious about this, I need to be doing it and it's not like a, Oh, when I finish school, when I get my degree, oh, when I get a job, that's when I'll be doing it. Like I should be doing it anyway. Yeah. And that was like, that's yeah. been a huge wrestle for me. Um, yeah. 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 That's yeah. the one I resonate with the most personally and have had to wrestle yeah, with and wrestle through. Same. I think I probably dwelt in the, you know, I'd give it all up tomorrow if Jesus made it clear to me that's what he wanted. Yeah. Um, oh, there's totally yeah. some of that for me too. The, and the, the 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 less obnoxious version of that is the um you know this this command was given to one specific person at one specific time and you know it's it's there for us to learn from but the command was only for the rich young ruler. Yeah. Um 
which, you know, we get a little bit selective about which ones are in the Bible because they're for everyone and which ones are in the Bible because they're just for one person. Mm. And um, it's funnily enough, sometimes tends to fall in our favour. Mm. <laughs> Let's read the, the following paragraph or two because um, I've got a bunch of highlights through here because I think these are, these are quite helpful to anchor us uh, in not drifting off into just misery and confusion and frustration. So on page 122, quote, The point of Jesus' command is not to make us wallow in guilt about possessions, but to force us to acknowledge our sin and to seek restitution. That is why Jesus points out the need to sell all you have and give to the poor. We need to find personal responses to benefiting from unjust structures. There are limited resources on the earth. There is also enough for all to live well. All should have enough food, clothes and medicine, but there's not enough for all of us to live well off. If everyone on the planet drove a car, there'd be no oil. One person's excess is another's shortfall. This is why Jesus didn't ask for the money himself. He wanted the rich young ruler to make poverty and injustice personal. He couldn't just give it to charity. He actually had to meet the poor himself. The ones who he had not loved as himself, he had to go and visit personally. And that's the podcast, everybody. Thank you. It's been Reading Mission. We no longer need to do the rest of the series. <laughs> that's it. And I guess yeah. oh, the big challenge from that is what does it look like to go and make poverty personal isn't the right way to say that because that's just like cliche because um, that's the title of the book. Um but what does it mean to visit that personally but without making it mm. either tokenistic or without yep. making it glorifying it in the wrong ways? Um, and Do you remember the, um, the time I think Malcolm Turnbull handed uh, like a, a $50 note to someone uh, who was unhoused? Um, it was. It was Malcolm Turnbull uh, in, jeez, 2016. Um, there was this, this photo, and you know, quite good photo in terms of photography, um, of him uh, putting, a, putting a note, putting a banknote in, um, you know, the 7-Eleven cup of a bloke sitting on the uh, street. And that in itself, no issues. Um, the funny thing about the photo is you can clearly see the wad of notes in Prime Minister Turnbull's other hand. <laughs> that is just, yeah, which, yeah. <laughs> no, not wanting to sit in judgment of that, um, but just it does highlight something uh, amusing um, that in that sense of not wanting to be tokenistic, you know, just handing a $5 note to someone with one hand and holding on to the wad of cash in the other is that kind of visual mm. tokenistic response. Um, I'm not trying to judge the, the contents of Malcolm Turnbull's uh, no. heart and spirit, 
Um, it's just the the photo, the symbolism of that, and yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's the wrestle with short term missions slash mm. exposure trips slash work trips, depending on the context you've been in, and that kind of thing. Is that whole tension because part of it is about making that poverty personal, which is really mm. great, but then it's how do we go mm. about making that poverty personal in those spaces yeah. mutually beneficial in a culturally respective, respectful, mm. significant way for all parties involved? Um, how, mm. how do we try and remove some of the barriers of... And remember that the, the ultimate goal is um, to... You know, as that that section from page one hundred and twenty-five you read earlier, Emily, about the um, the body of Christ healing the the body that is so you know parts of it have so much and parts of it have so little, is about that sense of redistributing stuff from where it's it's not needed to where it is needed. That mm. sense of um, the the ultimate goal is a restitution. Um, you know, of, of everything being made right, everybody entering back into right relationship with one another, um, you know, people um, stepping away from positions of, of uh, undue power and giving you know, that equality back to our mm. relationships with people. So it's not, yeah, it's not tokenistic and it's not um, one directional, it is mutual and, and and entering back into relationship with people. So one of the one of the key things that Ash goes on to talk about in this the rest of this chapter really is this um this sense of redistributing wealth, but it goes beyond, you know, finances and resources and into people. Mm. Um redistributing where you know, people make their lives and people's skills are focused and um because there's there's something about poverty that is more than just we you know throwing throwing money at it mm. to you know you know poverty does deep spiritual psychological social damage um impoverished communities you know need more than just a a massive sudden influx of cash the same way that, um, you know, rich, well, rich communities don't need a sudden influx of cash at all. Um, <laughs> but there's still something there that is needed. Um, and there's, there's this, this spiritual um, or, you know, yeah, there's this deeper spiritual gap mm. um, that needs to be fixed by that rebuilding of relationship. Mm. Um, and I love this sentence this, on page 125 mm. or this, it's, sorry, it's two sentences and I'm yep. just going to quote Ash now and he says, if we are to hear Jesus' call to discipleship, every Christian must make poverty personal. That includes poverty in the West and not just in the most extreme situations. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Local mission, local justice. Mm. Um, international mission, international justice. It's all, mm. yeah. It's no, one's, one's not, not more important, important than, the than the other. It's a yes and. Sorry, you probably just said yeah. that as I was saying that. <laughs> I did. Jinx. Oh, jinx. <laughs> Come follow me. 
Yeah, the final part of the command that uh, Jesus gives the rich young ruler is to come follow me, which, um, as we've already talked about, this invitation into something to replace that that wealth, replace the security of wealth with the security of a community that is mutually committed to itself and to one another um, and where you can rely on the support and love and caring of the people around you. Um, and, you know, this, this, is, this is what Jesus was there to curate and to start and to show the way towards. Um, the thing that I think Ash helpfully clarifies is that, um, you know, Jesus wasn't there to start the Christian church. Jesus was there to usher in the community of the kingdom of God. Mm. Um, and the church follows Jesus in that, um, you know, the, the purpose of the church is to attempt to usher in the, uh, the, the kingdom of God in, you know, new and exciting ways, but the church itself is not the kingdom of God, um, which I think is a really helpful distinction. Um, so there's a, a big old chunk at the tail end of this section that I just want to read kind of like two big paragraphs. But before we do that, did you want to um, highlight anything or add anything? Oh, he brings back up in the end of this or in part of this section about by he, I mean Ash, um, mm -hmm. and I'm going to quote here, how people respond or don't respond to the least of these, sick, homeless, hungry, jailed, is a litmus test of where we place our faith. Is our faith and trust in Jesus and the authority of his reign or is it in the world, world's power? Um, back to that litmus test of last week. Um, yes. Of how that, how we respond to the least of these two, um, the poor to those in poverty yep. determines and can be a really good measure of Mm. how well society is functioning. Yes, yes, 100%. And Jesus' society is oriented towards, always oriented towards the care and the flourishing of those people. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Um, and the person of Jesus is our orientation. And as we're, you know, as Christians, we are seeking to be Christ-like. We are seeking to be little Christs. Um, as Christians, we believe Jesus is this hope of shalom, peace, realized, the ultimate revelation of what God intends. He is the Lord of shalom and is anointed to bring good news to the poor, fulfilling all the laws, including the Jubilee laws. Jesus is the anchor of the soul and the hope of our faith. Jesus could do this for us because he did not give in to temptation, even under persecution, torture, and execution. Therefore, only Jesus had the authority to choose real life and sacrificial death and could offer his life through his resurrection and the spirit to others. The disciples received this grace freely and could go and offer Jesus' authority and life to others. Jesus' Lord became an early faith statement proclaiming the reality that Jesus' authority was above all others and that our own authority and freedom to live as God intends was linked intrinsically with this authentic authority and freedom. The reign of God, then, is about the lordship of Christ, or the shalom of God breaking through. 
Jesus' authority was shown whenever Jesus was in the midst of people, when demons were cast out, and when healing and miracles in nature occurred. Jesus' teachings about this reign were often parables set in homes, marketplaces, or on the land, requiring us to risk all against anti-reigns in seeking first the reign of God and its justice. Jesus is the center and reference point of the reign of God. He turns upside down the centers and reference points of those who only have power but not authority. This is what made Jesus' life so threatening. God could have entered the world at any time, anywhere, so we must pay attention to how Jesus chose to live. If Jesus is the reference point of God's reign, then we need to conform to Jesus' life and image. It's a lot there. I really, really love that. And then I really love what follows is a quick summary. Four, four key points to understand about who Jesus is um, in order to understand this, you know, to, to orient ourselves and conform ourselves to Jesus' life and image. The first thing is that Jesus experienced poverty personally. Um, Ash points out, you know, Jesus was, was born out of wedlock. He fled persecution as a refugee. He was oppressed and lived as a part of an oppressed people in an occupied land under the Romans. He experienced hunger and homelessness, um, and he was discriminated against and ultimately tortured and killed. Mm. Um, Jesus taught insights that offered authority to transform poverty on earth as in heaven. Um, yeah, so... Uh, sorry. Um, yeah, so Jesus' teachings were around transforming our lived experiences and the lived experiences of people in poverty to be something more like what God intends. Um, you know, these are things that are relevant for us here and now. These aren't just, you know, future things. Um, Jesus used miracles to demonstrate the, the character and the presence of the kingdom of God um, by healing people, by feeding people um, and casting out evil spirits, which I love that Ash points out here. Often evil spirits were cast out of people on the margins, children, mm. women, or those on the other side. And finally, Jesus empowered Christian communities to live like him by dying, rising again, and giving his spirit. Um, so I really, yeah. I really love this. I, I some, something I've I've always found, I've recently found really really helpful is this um, sense of like Jesus is our example and our guiding principle. And you know, as as Christians, Jesus is you know the the key thing. Um, every everything else is secondary to who Jesus was is. And showed God to be. Mm. Um. Yeah. I was just, as you were reading that first um, section about Jesus coming to be um, on mm. earth and God could have picked any time, anywhere, anyhow to do it, but mm. he chose Jesus, a baby born in yeah. a manger. Um, our sermon series at church at the moment is Beautiful Things in Ugly Places um, mm. with the the lead up to Christmas and Christmas yeah. being the ultimate definition of beautiful things in ugly places um, yeah. and just all of these ways Jesus lived, um, who he was, where he was born, 
are not pretty and not beautiful. It is quite ugly. Like, you know, what good can, nothing good can come from Nazareth, like all of that stuff, Um, you know, being, yeah, in an unglamorous place. But the beauty of Jesus being in these places, being with the people who need him, being, Mm. and that being our example, it shows even in all of the mark there is beauty and Mm. from that is where we're called to be. We're called to be in Mm. that mark, in Mm. the ugly places, Mm. to bring the light, to bring Mm. the beauty of Christ. Mm. And to uncover the beauty that's already there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love this sentence. Um, the reign of God then is simply God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. This is a mm. liberating force like no other for those facing poverty. It turns upside down the priorities of the authorities and the power of this world. The last mm. are first and the first are last. Where people have lived unauthorized lives from the power's point of view, able to be used and abused for the benefit of the elite, God has intervened by giving Jesus' life the only as the only true authority. Mm. Um, It reminds me, a a lot of, as I was reading this, it was reminding me of um, Hosanna, the, I think it's like the Hillsong United did it, worship song from probably like, I don't know, 15 years ago. It's quite old. I see the king of glory. Yeah, yeah, coming on the clouds with fire, fire, whole earth shakes, a whole earth shakes. shakes. Yeah, that one. But the bridge. um, Yeah. I um oh gosh now I've only got the verses in my head thanks Mitch um yeah <laughs> hang on I'm glad uh, my brain's not the only one that does that heal my heart and make it clean open my eyes yeah. to the things unseen show me how to like love like you've loved me break my heart for what breaks yours yeah. everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity that is one of my favorite sections yeah. of a worship song I think. Might be my favorite, um, yeah. just because that's yeah. the beautiful things in ugly places. That's the making poverty personal. That's the being a part of God's kingdom and bringing His kingdom, and not only, but like breaking my heart for what breaks yours, God. So, yes. who who are those? Where are those places where your heart is breaking? Show me so that I can. It's not even about me. So you can work through me in that space. Mm-hmm. And where you're, it's so good. Where we're called to bring your liberation and your justice and your mercy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, on page 130, will we give everything up to join the kingdom cause? Will we throw Mm. our lot in with the Christian community to live out our Christian discipleship? Will we be a part of the problem or part of the solution in ending oppression? While the rich young man said no, Peter, Peter's life said yes to Jesus. For all his wealth and power, we don't even know the rich man's name. Yet Peter as remembered, is remembered and celebrated as the one who experienced God's grace and authority and who helped change the course of human history. Yeah. Look, as we, as we sort of come towards the end of this chapter, I think there's just a few couple more things to um, pull out. But... I don't know. I think there's a degree to which we're just kind of going around in circles, uh, reinforcing these these same idea because they're just brilliant. But um, look, a couple of things I'll um, 
pull out um, a couple more more challenges. Page 132. Um, the point of our faith is not to have bigger and better lives or churches, but to transform the world, I think is something that's really important to hold on to. Mm. Um, and yet the, you know, the lure of, of growth and wealth is really strong. And there's a really, I, I, I find this um, little bit on page 133 um, quite challenging. Um Ash quotes some some research from the uh, World Evangelization Research Center that the church in or the sorry that the Western Church spends ninety nine percent of its income on itself, which is a shocking statistic and probably f- pretty accurate. <laughs> um, you know, mm. yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really a hard reality of what we, what we do and what we, yeah, as, as a hard reality of our communities of churches that they are, um, they are hungry organizations. They require a lot of, you know, wealth to be constantly poured back into them in order to, you know, keep them going at the, in the, in the way that we're used to. Mm. Um, but it does mean that, as Ash says here, um, the last group on earth that should be in charge of redistributing wealth is the Western church, (laughs) which is a bit of a gut punch, Mm. but it's hard to argue with that. So to wrap up the chapter, Ash reflects on the story of um, someone he knew through, or he knows through the uh, living in the Klong Toy slum, um, Pastor Suwat, um, who was, from the sounds of things, a reasonably tough and scary kind of guy um, involved in, he, here it is, uh, he was a mafia boss, used and dealt in drugs and spent time in jail. Um, and Pastor Suwat had a fairly radical encounter with Jesus and, um, you know, as the, as the rich young ruler was invited to, Pastor Sawat surrendered everything to Jesus. Um, and part of this reflection is that, you know, a, a conventional journey and direction for someone like Pastor Sawat is to, you know, gather a church and start to grow a church. And I'm, I'm assuming with a story like that and the capacity to tell it, you'd be a fairly charismatic figure mm. um, and, you know, could eventually rise up to, you know, be leading some kind of new megachurch or an existing megachurch outside the slum. But Pastor Sawat refused that and instead went back to his community of origin and, you know, reinvested in the slum community um, in Klong Toy, um, which is, yeah, is a pretty full-on thing to do if you, you know, have the potential to go on a more conventionally successful mm. uh, trajectory. Um, but yeah, the stories that um, Ash tells here about, you know, Pastor Swat just being in the community and being oriented to the needs of the people around him and loving them and 
you know, helping keep the church oriented towards being in that community is, is really inspiring. And I think um, there's like real beauty in that as well because mm. no one understands the nuances and culture more than the people in the culture and the context yeah. and the society. Yeah. Um, and like I think that's the the goal for all of us really is to mm. learn to be Jesus where we are because you know you know the people around you, you know the challenges that your community face, you know those yeah. things, whether you yeah. you might not even acknowledge it yet or be aware that you know it, but you do. Um and that's the places we should be all feeding into because if like mm. there's when there's unity in the body Beautiful things happen. Beautiful things happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if, if our calling is to, to go and be in the process of going at all times, you, you know, in, in, in following that commandment, the place where you are currently mm. is part of your You're going. sending and you're being sent. Yeah. yeah. So, so in that, you know, these these aren't future commands. These are now, right now, make disciples. Right now, make poverty personal. Where you are, in what you're doing mm. every day, um, yeah, in yeah. And in there's liberation in that ways. too, because it's yeah. not a call or a ascending to go and everyone go to different countries and be missionaries in different countries. While that might Change be the case. Change places. <laughs> yeah. Everyone. Yeah, shuffle everyone around. Everyone Australia up to Thailand. Everyone yeah. from Thailand. Come to Australia. To- <laughs> um, and while that is a reality for some people, that's not everyone and yeah. that's good um, and yeah. that's as it should be. So there's liberation in that because then for those of us who that isn't our call, that's fine. We can support those people but also we can be missionaries where we are and yeah. in the communities we're in and all of that. And I think that's mm. – and learning to do that is maybe harder than mm. this, okay, when I get here, that's when I'll do it. When I get here, that's when I'll do it yeah. um, kind of mentality, which is mm. easy. Well, it's not easy, mm. but – it's sort of it's putting it's, <laughs> it's putting a, a desi- it's like when you reach this destination that's when I'll become mm. a disciple yeah. and that's when I'll become yes. this and yes. you reach that destination but then it's like okay no can't do it now I'll do it then I'll do it now like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 100% So Emily what are you going to continue to wrestle with this, from this chapter um all of it <laughs> uh, um, yeah fair um but <laughs> It's been a good mm, reaffirmation. No, that might not be the right word, but I think maybe, yeah, probably a reaffirmation of, you know, being Mm. where I am is where I'm sent to and where I'm called to now Mm. and this is where I am and that's good. Um, But then also um, a, a push to be more in the discipler discipleship space and um, Mm. be prayerfully considering and then asking people who God is putting in my way to Mm. ask to read the Bible together and, Mm. you know, do that journey. Mm. And I think it's just having the courage to do that. What about you, Mitch? What's going to be your challenge or takeaway? 
I think I'm going to continue thinking about um, how what what my personal response to poverty is in the the way that um, Ash was talking about. You know, for the um, the rich young ruler, it was to go and to give in person to face into that. You know, the ways that he has benefited um, from unjust systems and. Yeah, I think I'm just going to continue. I mean, I'll probably, I will literally be doing this for the rest of my life, but wrestling mm. with that. As you should you know, be in, too. In this moment, yeah. In this moment, what is my personal response? Um, yeah. That's good. So, Emily, to close this out, how is the Franciscan benediction going to punch me in the face this week? Look, we'll read it and find out. We should just do a whole episode on this and deconstructing it maybe between books. Because I feel like we could get a whole episode out of this easy. Oh, but I just, I'm, I am loving every time you read it, how it reads into us in a different way and into the conversations that we've had and clarifies and anchors um, things far more beautifully than I ever could. Yeah, uh, it's so beautiful. May God bless you with the restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deeply within your heart. May God bless you with a holy anger at injustice, oppression, and the exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all peoples. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world, so that you are able, with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. Amen. So in another two weeks' time, we'll be back on our Discord recording this podcast in community where everybody's welcome and invited to come listen in, contribute in chat, and hang out with us while we talk. We'll be tackling Chapter 6 of Make Poverty Personal titled The Early Church Standing Against Poverty Together, and I hope that you'll join us. You can find a link to the Discord on our website at embody.org.au. I hope you join us. Yeah, see you next time. Thanks for listening to Reading Mission, a podcast by Embody. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review us so more people can find us. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Every episode of Reading Mission is recorded live in our Discord server, so if you want to join in the live discussion and connect with other people exploring mission, justice, and social change together, head to embody.org.au discord to join in. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally, and globally. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at EmbodyAU and visit our website at embody.org.au. All the links are in the show notes. Embody is part of the Global Mission Partners family. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. Music in the show is by Josh Woodward. We'll catch you next time and thanks for listening to Reading Mission.